Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Good morning. If you want to uh, open your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. I think this may have been the longest sermon that I have uh, ever given. Because uh, the last time, if you remember, at the beginning of September, I talked about encouragement. um, And I just wanted to continue that sermon. So I think this is like, what, three weeks of encouragement? That's a long sermon. Longer than the one that Paul had. Okay, that one didn't go over well. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Well, what is encouragement? I think we learned a little bit of it what it was last time. And according to Hebrews... uh, Encouragement is that how we consider to spur one another on to love and good deeds. It's the idea of a a well-thought-out ability to help other people be better followers of Christ no matter what. Because as we've talked about in the past, the writer of Hebrews is writing the book of Hebrews to a group of Jewish Christians who are on the verge of giving up. And his encouragement is that they would see that Christ is superior to going back to the old ways and that they would hang on to Christ and stick through those things. And the idea that the writer of Hebrews is trying to get them to see is that they need to consider or to think deeply, uh, think a lot about how they might spur one another on to love and good deeds. In our community group on Friday, as we were going through some of the stuff on encouragement, uh, Sheena was mentioning that it's not just a matter of just coming up to say, up someone and, and I'm going to encourage you by saying, wow, you look really nice today, which is encouraging, mind you, because you don't want to walk up to somebody and say, wow, you look really bad. But the idea of really thinking through what it means to come alongside of somebody and really encourage them. Uh, how many of you ever received a gift just because you know it's just a gift. You know, like it's your birthday and somebody goes, oh, yeah, it's your birthday. Here's a $5 Starbucks card that I happen to have in my wallet because I remember that it's your birthday. Anyone ever have something like that? Well, this Friday, uh, my community group was really nice, and they came up with an ode to POFO. And I should have brought it with me. I guess it would have been really cool to read. But what it tells me in the midst of that is they really thought about who I was and how I affected their lives And even though it cost them zero dollars, it was probably one of the best gifts that I received uh, this birthday that many of you didn't give me anything for. But that doesn't matter. Just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't want anything. (laughs) In fact, I told my family, don't give me anything. In fact, Tuesday, we didn't do anything because I, I just like it that way. But it was really encouraging that they actually thought about me and what I mean to them and gave that as a gift. That's what encouragement is. It's not just a simple, hey, I hope you're doing better. I'll pray for you, wonderful sort of stuff, which, again, it's important to pray for people, but it's really well thought out. What I want to look at today is a man named Barnabas from the book of Acts, as we've been going through the book of Acts. And I want to share some of the things that he does as an encourager that we can grasp onto and hopefully develop that culture within our church as well. And... uh, (coughs) I'm just going to give you the context, and then we're going to read just verses 36 and 37 of chapter 4. The context is pretty simple. The church is growing. Uh, Pentecost has happened. People are coming to Christ. And some of these people have traveled from great distances, have decided to stay in in Jerusalem. 
<coughs> and because they've stayed in Jerusalem, they don't necessarily have a lot of money. They might not have jobs. And so what the people who are or the people who have lived in the area are doing is they're selling their fields and they're giving the money to the church so they can take care of these people who don't have a lot of money so that they continue to grow in Christ here in Jerusalem. And uh, as we kind of get that context understood, onto the scene pops this man named Joseph in verse 36. It reads this way. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Now, there's a couple things to notice here. The guy's name is not Barnabas. The guy's name really is Joseph. Here's this plain, ordinary guy, Joseph, who continues to encourage the people who are in Jerusalem. And maybe the capstone or the cornerstone or one of the stones of encouragement is when he has sold this field and has given it to the apostles in order to help other people continue to follow Christ here in Jerusalem. Well, the apostles are so encouraged by this Joseph guy that they change his name to Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. And so throughout the rest of scripture, you will not hear about this Joseph. You will hear about this Joseph, whose name is now Barnabas, because he's an encourager. So the first thing that I guess maybe that I would like you to grasp today is that if you're going to be an encourager, be willing to accept the lifestyle of an encourager. See, that's what Barnabas was known for. He lived out encouragement, so much so that they changed his name. Now, how many of you know who Cassius Clay is? Okay, a few of us. And uh, anybody know who Lou Alcindor is? Okay, now let's try this. Anyone know who Muhammad Ali is? Uh, a few more hands, hopefully, you're raised. And uh, how about uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar? Okay, a few more hands. Okay, not, not a lot of sports fans here. Okay, that's fine. Go Bears. <laughs> Go Packers, but we won't tell them where to go, but that's another story. Okay, anyway, moving on. I'm just kidding. See, I get to preach before the Packers thing. All right, that's for Jared. The idea is, though, that, 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 that Barnabas or Joseph is so encouraging that he changed his name. You see, even though it's kind of strange that I'm saying Cassius Clay and, and Lou Alcindor, when they became Muslims, changed their names. They changed their names to something that actually meant something to them. And for the apostles, this guy Joseph wasn't Joseph. He was Barnabas, the son of encouragement. The guy who, when we're having a difficult time in following Christ, is going to come alongside of us and he's going to encourage us. Because we know that he's probably thought about it. He's dealt with it. And he's, he's there because he wants to see us following Christ no matter what. One of the guys in our community group, and I had to concede this to him, was, was mentioning, boy, that's, it was really hard to live that kind of lifestyle. It doesn't seem fair that here in this community group, you're asking us to be encouragers when we may not have been there just yet, which is true. Because many of us need to learn what it is like to live the lifestyle of an encourager. And it's possibly true that Barnabas even had a gift of encouragement. But I think the story of Barnabas is in Scripture because the call ultimately, as we learned a few weeks ago, is to daily encourage one another that our hearts may not be deceived or become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So Barnabas' name is changed because he lives this lifestyle out. And that encouragement for us is to be like Barnabas, 
whether you're in process or have the gift or not, to be an encourager in the midst of the body of Christ. So letting you know that, I want to give you three things that I think an encourager does throughout the rest of the story of Barnabas. So if you want to flip with me to Acts chapter 9. And we'll start with verse 26, but let me give you a little bit of a context. The context is pretty simple. Saul, whom I will call Paul because I I don't get them mixed up, but I usually call him Paul. But Saul slash Paul has become a follower of Christ on the road to Damascus. Now, before this, Saul was a persecutor of the church. He really liked persecuting Christians because to him, they were wrong. To him, they were leading people away from God. He liked it so much that he just couldn't stay in Jerusalem. He said, you know, what? I need to go somewhere else. I want to go to these other cities and make sure that these blasphemers of God are brought to justice. And so he heads off to Damascus and he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. And Jesus says, what are you doing? What is wrong with you? And and Paul has this conversion experience as a Christian prays over him and he sees Christ for who he is. And he now becomes a follower of Christ. And while he's in Damascus, He begins preaching the gospel and he's winning people over to Christ. And the Jews who are there are saying, what are you doing? You came here to persecute these people. Now you're preaching the message that they were preaching. You are successful at it. I don't think we like you anymore. And so they got together and they tried to kill him. But uh, Paul fled the city. Well, he comes to Jerusalem. And when he enters into Jerusalem, he says, I would like to meet the apostles. Now, what do you think the apostles are going to say? They're going to say, we love and forgive you, brother. Come join us. Look what it says here in verse 26. When Paul came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. Now, here's what's key about that. Imagine in in, in modern times, if you can uh, consider the president of Iran, uh, suddenly says, you know, um, it's really hard for me to say Mahmoud Adinajad because I always want to say I'm in the mood for a jihad. And I don't think that's really a good thing to say right now. But, but let's say, <laughs> I can't say it. <laughs> but, but let's say the president of Iran says, hey, you know what? Um, I've been reading the Bible. I put the Quran down for a while and I've been reading the Bible and suddenly I see the light And I believe that the Jews are the people of God and I want to stop our nuclear program. I want to put it on the side. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. And this is just an illustration. But I just want to be honest with you. We really were going to build nuclear bombs, but we're not going to anymore. And I want to go to Israel and I want to meet with Prime Minister Netanyahu. And I want us to have a peace conference so that the Middle East can finally be settled down and have peace all the way throughout. What would most people think? Most people would be thinking, okay, he's got something up his sleeve. This man is dangerous. We cannot trust him. It's the same situation here because it's possible that Paul has this great conversion so he can get into the inner circle, hang out with the inner circle and then say, gotcha, 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 prison, prison, head off, crucifixion, whatever, you're all dead. So the disciples are like, I want nothing to do with that brother if he's even a brother. Look what happens in verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. (coughs) He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. The idea here in verse 27 is pretty simple to me, at least. (coughs) 
maybe by implication. The thought or the idea is that Barnabas met with Paul. Because he had to go to him because he took him to the apostles. So Barnabas must have met with Paul. And here's one thing that an encourager does. For Christ, for Christ, an encourager is willing to risk everything to encourage. For Christ, an encourager is willing to risk everything in Christ. Here's the idea. In a sense, if Paul really is deceitful about his conversion, Barnabas is actually laying his life on the line. In fact, uh, Sheena mentioned in our group, she's, he's even laying his reputation on the line because he's saying, listen, this Paul guy is a Christian. You know, it's like um, as pastors, sometimes when we have our kids and they go off to college somewhere and you know a pastor that's in the neighborhood and you call up the pastor and you say, hey, you know, my daughter or my son's going to such and such a college. Can you make sure that she goes to your church? Keep an eye on her kind of thing, right? If that ever happens. And uh, you're hoping that your daughter goes there and carries out your reputation. And if your daughter or your son is a really bad kid, everybody looks and goes, that's, you're a pastor's kid? Boy, what is your dad like? You know what I mean? So his reputation is on the line, but so is his life. Because if Paul really is a liar and a deceiver, Barnabas to himself will probably end up in jail and be killed. But an encourager like Barnabas, while everyone else is fleeing Paul like roaches in the light, Barnabas steps up and says, I will meet with you. You see, because who tells Paul's story? Paul doesn't. Barnabas does. Which means that Barnabas had to sit down and talk with him and listen and really understand in the spirit whether or not this man has really come to Christ. So an encourager is willing to risk it all. Now, mind you, encouragement is a very difficult thing. Because sometimes when you encourage people, you might meet one of those dwarfs like Grumpy. Like, oh, thank you very much, but it's never really going to work out that way. But an encourager in the midst of all that still comes alongside the person willing to spend time and energy in order to see that person become a better follower of Christ, no matter what. See, because the goal ultimately is to see a person become a better follower of Christ. The goal is not just to encourage, but to be a better follower of Christ. And a Barnabas is willing to do anything to make sure that person actually becomes a better follower of Christ in the end. There's a second thing that an encourager does. Flip over to Acts chapter 11. I'm going to start with verse 22 instead of verse 19. I'm going to give you the context. The irony in all of this is that a group of people in Antioch are in Antioch because one day Stephen was martyred. Not Stephen Chang back there. Was I supposed to mention your name or was it Howie? One of, somebody in my community group said, mention my name. I think it was Howie, right? Howie, I mentioned your name, so leave me alone. Because he took me out to lunch kind of thing. But anyway, moving on. Stephen... Uh, was martyred. And one of the guys who was there was this Saul slash Paul guy who was in hearty agreement with it. And uh, so what happens is these people spread out because of this persecution and they end up in Antioch. And while in Antioch, some of the Jews are coming to Christians, uh, becoming Christians. But some of these guys say, you know what? Look at this Gentile population. 
there's so many of out there. Why don't we tell them about Jesus? Wouldn't that be really interesting? So they go out there and they begin to tell these Gentiles about Jesus. And boom, it's like a fireworks explosion. People are coming to Christ and the church is growing and the, and the church is thriving. And look what happens here in verse 22. News of this reached the ears of the church at Jerusalem where all the apostles are. That's my little extra addendum there. And who do they send? They send Barnabas to Antioch. Now, I think this is really cool because the, the, the apostles have seen this guy is a great encourager. And the church is growing and thriving. Why not send one of our best? Not just anybody, but to send an encourager to this church to continue to encourage them to follow Jesus and to grow, which is what he does. <coughs> when Barnabas arrived and he saw the evidence of the grace of God, he was glad and what? Encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all of their hearts. So here again, here is his lifestyle. His well-thought-out ability to encourage people to be better followers of Christ. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then, this is a key word, you know, like in, in Bible study, there's, there's going to be a huge change here. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. <clears throat> the church... And the ministry is thriving. It is growing. Barnabas comes. It continues to grow and thrive. But at some point in time, Barnabas begins to think, you know what? I wonder if this could be even better and more fruitful if I went and I got Paul and I brought him here. Here's the second thing. For Christ, an encourager seeks the success of others, even if it makes them more successful. It's kind of like the time when, uh, I mean, if you look at it like this, what's, what's happening here is, is Barnabas is good, but he knows Saul is better. And he wants Saul on his team. It's kind of like the time that Pastor Dave came to the Chinese church and he said to me, will you join us? Okay. Somebody in my small group told me to say that, so I just said it. What a dangerous small group. Anyway, so here's what I, this is the encouraging thing. Barnabas isn't worried about his success. He isn't saying, man, this church is growing. The apostles in Jerusalem are saying that Barnabas is an encourager. He's a great guy. Look what he's doing to that church. In the middle of this, because he's not so concerned about his personal success, but the success of other people, he goes and he gets this guy, Saul, who's sitting in Tarsus, not really doing possibly what he's supposed to be doing. And he's saying, come and join me and make this good thing a better thing. And that's what an encourager does. In fact, you're going to see by the time all of this ends that Saul slash Paul ends up being, in a sense, more successful than Barnabas. But I really don't think Barnabas cared because that's what an encourager does. See, an, an encourager isn't really so concerned about their own success, but the success of other people. Now, think about this. If Barnabas had not come... And met with Paul in Acts chapter 9 when he was in Jerusalem. How would have Paul affected Christianity in the end? 
Now, I know some of you Calvinists are out there saying, you know, ah, you know, God would have taken care of it. I would have worked out the way he did. Yeah, that's true in some ways. I'm, I'm going to concede that point. But I think there's also a truth that God used Barnabas to connect with Paul and then bring him to a place like this because ultimately they will head out on missions journeys together. And it makes me wonder what if Barnabas had simply left ta- Paul in Tarsus. You see what I'm saying? An encourager is someone who thinks a lot about other people and how they can help them become better followers of Christ no matter what and is willing to risk anything and everything for them to be better followers of Christ and is even willing to give up their own success for someone else to be more successful. That's what an encourager does. And that's exactly what Barnabas has done. It goes on here. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. The message is going to continue to spread because an encourager has come alongside this man and said, I'm not worried about my success. In fact, it's kingdom, not kingdom only, but also your success to see you be the man that God wants you to be. Paul, come with me, work with me. Let's work together. There's a third thing. Flip over to Acts. Chapter 15. Verse 36. Let me give you a little bit of context again. Here we have the Jerusalem council and the the Jerusalem councils happen. And there's some Jews that have become Christians and uh, they've become sort of like pharisaical a little bit. And they go, listen, if you're really going to follow Jesus, what you have to do is you have to be circumscribed. Okay, it's not the right word, but the other word's painful. So just go with circumscribed. In the midst of that, uh, Barnabas and Paul hear of this and they go, that's just not right. And so they, they travel from Antioch. They go to Jerusalem and they have this big council. And it gets to a place where they finally realize, you know what, Paul and Barnabas, you are right. And uh, the gospel that you preach is the gospel that we want to preach. And so the circumscription stuff, it does not count. And uh, we're just going to put that out. And here are the things that you have to do. In the end, they have a great victory and they head back to Antioch. And verse 36 picks it up here. It says, <clears throat> sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. The idea is this. On that first missionary journey from Antioch that Paul and Barnabas went on, they took John Mark with them. And I don't know why, but a little bit early in the journey, John Mark said, you know what, guys, I've had it. (coughs) It could have been it was too much for him. Could have been that he was freaking out a little bit by some of the things that are happening. I don't know what it is, but in the end, he basically quit. He said, I'm through, I'm done, I'm out of here. Here's the interesting thing. After all these years have passed, they're getting ready to go out on their second missionary journey. And Barnabas says, let's bring this guy that blew it the first time. Paul says, no, no, I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't, I don't think we're going to bring him. Barnabas says, no, 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 I've met with him. I've met with him. I really think he's changed. Paul says, no, I don't think that we're going to bring him with us. And Barnabas says, and this is all imagination, but this is what I'm thinking happens. Barnabas says, I really 
really feel convinced that we need to bring John Mark with us. Paul says, there is no way that we are bringing him with us. And suddenly these guys start arguing back and forth. I mean, even the most spiritual of guys are arguing about whether or not this guy should come with them. In the end, look what happens. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. And I would add here in little parentheses, sailed off into anonymity for the rest of Scripture. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches with the little parentheses that he went on to be more famous than Barnabas in the end. But here's the third thing I want you to catch. For Christ, an encourager like Christ is willing to give second chances. Now, I don't know the testimony of everyone here, but I would imagine that a good portion of us have really done something really tremendously screwed up in our lives, whether it's a a moral thing or some other issue that you have, and you've blown it so huge that you really needed someone to come alongside of you and say, you have blown it, you have made the mistake, but I believe God has changed you. You see, I think Barnabas had some discernment too. I don't think he was saying, well, you know what, I'll just take you with me and, you know, let's see what happens kind of thing. But I really think that Barnabas Barnabas was convinced that John Mark had truly changed in his heart and was willing to sacrifice everything, even being known further in Scripture, even though he probably wouldn't have been thinking that. But he was willing to sacrifice everything because he truly believed that John Mark was different. And like Christ wanted to give John Mark that second chance where Paul said, no way, uh uh-uh, not going to happen. Now, who do you think was right? I know my community group is going to tell you who they think was right, but that's because they cheated uh, and had the answer on Friday. Who do you think was right? Just Ruth? Barnabas was right. Yes, Uh, you should be a deacon. Hey, that works out pretty good. Uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Let's see what happens here. If you want to flip there with me. This is what Paul writes. And remember, this is the last letter, the known letter of Paul, possibly near the end of his life. And look at what verse uh, verse 11 says of 2 Timothy chapter 4. It says, only Luke is with me. In other words, everyone's taken off. Get, in an, in an imperative sense, get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. You see, what I think happened, even though Barnabas and John Mark sailed off into anonymity, is that ultimately one day Barnabas and John Mark crossed paths with Paul again and Paul realized, Barnabas, dude, you were right. This guy is different. And it might have been right around the time, perhaps, when John Mark wrote the gospel of Mark. You see, again, which gets us back to that sense of, you know, what is Barnabas constantly thinking of? Other people and their success. You see, because if Barnabas doesn't come alongside John Mark, do we have a gospel of Mark? I know, I know, yes, we will have one. But but the idea or the point I'm trying to make is, Perhaps not if we think of alternate history as a reality, which is a paradox. Okay, thank you for laughing, whoever was doing that, for getting that. Does that make sense, though? 
You see, this encouragement guy thinks a lot about it. I don't know if you guys remember uh, a few weeks ago when we had those, that roundtable connection Sunday. And as I was sitting back there, Philly had a really good point. He, he was talking about um, how when he plays golf, uh, Phil is competitive. I don't know what that's like, but Phil is competitive. And uh, in, in the midst of playing golf, he said, I wanted to go that day and I, and I wanted to be encouraging. I, I, wanted to, I wanted to focus on not getting upset by someone who might not play golf as good as me. And uh, I really sort of enjoyed it because I went in there thinking with a very positive attitude. Could you imagine how different our church and our community groups would be if each and every one of us thought all week long, how can I encourage the people who are in my group? If you came to church, and not only to worship God, which is the main reason why we're here on Sunday, but what is something that I can do to come alongside somebody that I've really thought about and really encourage them to be better followers of Christ no matter what? It would revolutionize many of the things that are happening in our groups. And I'm not talking about saying, hey, dude, I prayed for you this week, which is nice. But it's kind of like when people come up to me after a sermon and they go, hey, that was a nice sermon. Okay, that doesn't encourage me. Because one, you could be lying to me because I'm a cynic. And two, because you might not have nothing else to say before you go get refreshment. So you go, hey, nice sermon. And then you go off and eat. If you sat down and said, hey, it was a nice sermon because this, 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 and it provoked me to do this three or four weeks after I gave the message, then I am more likely to believe you and be encouraged. Why? Because you've put it in your life and you've thought about it. That's what encouragement is. It's thinking about it and it's going to a place where like Barnabas, we can look at someone living that lifestyle of encouragement. We can look at them, (coughs) excuse me, we can look at them and say, I am willing to invest my life, risk it all if I have to, in order to see you be a better follower of Christ. I am willing to see you be more successful than me in the end, if it's going to help the kingdom of God and help you be a better follower of Christ. I am willing to give you a second chance, even if you are the one who has messed me up, if it is to get you to a place where you are a better follower of Christ. That's what an encourager does. Now, Phil said something else pretty good um, as we were going around, because one of the questions was, okay, now we know what we're supposed to do for encouragement. What is that like? The the thing that he said, and even Pastor Dave says, because maybe Phil's supposed to be in ministry, but he doesn't realize it. Ooh, somebody laughed. I hope that wasn't Phil. But Phil said, you know what? You can't make it a checklist. The worst thing that you could do is suddenly say, well, let's be encouragers. And today I did my checklist of encouragement. It misses the point. That is not the heart of an encourager. Phil's point, and ultimately God's point, is that it becomes a lifestyle because we are living it. We are thinking it. We are considering it. How can I spur the people in my community group? How can I spur the people in my church onto love and good deeds? How can I spur them on to be better followers of Christ, even if their life is falling apart? Now, I don't have the answer to that question because every one of us is different. But that's the cool thing, because an encourager doesn't need someone to come up to him and tell him, do this, do that, do this, do this. But an encourager thinks, prays, discerns, and then acts or speaks. So the encouragement, I think, for each and every one of us is to look at our lives and ask simple questions. When I'm around people, do they perceive me as an encourager in Christ? 
Not just an encourager, but an encourager in Christ. That was what the last question was, if you remember from that. If people were to ask you and your family members and your friends, if they were to say, are you an encourager? That was the idea. That's where I wanted to get us to that place where we're actually thinking and considering when I get together with people, do they want to follow Christ more? That's the place we want to get to, but we don't get to that place just by following checklists, but by really thinking, considering, reflecting. How might I help this person be a better follower of Christ no matter what? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for men like Barnabas who are very hard examples to follow. how we might look at them from a distance of several thousand years and think they had it all together. And so we give up. Father, instead help us to recognize that Barnabas, that you have placed Barnabas in the story of Scripture for us to see that it is possible to live a life of an encourager to come alongside our brothers and sisters and on a daily basis strengthen them that they might not be swayed or deceived or hardened in their hearts Father like Barnabas may we get to a place where we see people like you see them where we're willing to risk everything in order to see them be better followers of Christ. We're we're willing to risk our own success to see them become more successful. We're willing to give second chances because, Father, we know that you've given us more than second chances. We've received those more than second chances with great joy and ask that you would teach us how to be like you. Because Barnabas wouldn't point us to himself but he would point us to Jesus who did risk it all for each and every one of us that we might be brought into your family to love you to know you to serve you and to experience you Father this week we ask Speak to us about the people that we love and the people that we know. Infect our thoughts with how we might help them to be better followers of Jesus no matter what. And it's in his name that we pray. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.